Welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. Chapter 5, starting with verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife, also being privy to it, brought a certain part, laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not light unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. The young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered unto her, tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway to his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. We see now the early church. Matter of fact, this is the first time the word church is used in the book of Acts there in verse 11, that upon seeing and hearing this, great fear fell upon all the church. But Peter is helping this congregation here in Jerusalem. He's one of the leaders there at the church. And uh, the church is under a lot of financial stress. We see as a result, people are trying to sell possessions, help each other out. Let me just say this. There was no command to do this. Tithing was participated in, but there was no command being given by the prophets to sell their possessions and give the proceeds to the church. But as they saw the need, and we go back to chapter four, and we see, look what it says in verse 34, neither were there any among them that lacked possessions, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. They laid them down at the apostles' feet, and they said, listen, we want these things distributed As the need be, we understand some people are suffering hunger and poverty and needs, and we want to make sure everyone's well taken care of. And then it gives the example of Barnabas in verse 36. Having sold the land in verse 37, he brought the money. He laid it at the apostles' feet. And I believe word spread. Barnabas was a very generous man, a very incredible man in church history who was constantly encouraging and helping. But the first time we see him mentioned financially, he's selling what he has and helping the needy saints there at the church at Jerusalem. Now there was some kind of recognition that came with this because Ananias and Sapphira, they saw what happened 
and not out of their, solely out of their desire to help, but out of pride, they thought we would like to have this kind of recognition as sold out, dedicated, committed servants of the Lord, sacrificial Christians. So they sold their property. We don't know if it was their main property, their main house, or a secondary property that they owned. And they came one at a time, and Ananias came first, and he brought in a bag and laid it at the apostles' feet, a bag of money. And Peter asked him, he said, is this all of the money received from the sale of the house? And Ananias, wanting not to help, but some kind of accolades, recognition, a pat on the back. He wanted to be an average Christian with above average label. And he lied and God was angered and killed him for his hypocrisy on the spot. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? If we were sitting in a service, we'll soon be talking about summer pledges. Can you imagine if we asked for a show of hands, how many of you participated in and gave a full summer, an entire summer pledge, and as the congregation raised their hands, two people fell over dead? That would get our attention. And it got the attention of this early church here at Jerusalem. Here's what I want you to see before we get into the message. Really, you have... The package deal of satanic sense. Peter asked him, why is it that Satan hath put in your heart to lie? And when we talk about satanic sense, we're talking about lying and deceit and a spirit that comes with that. It's accompanied by pride. And let me just say this. Anything that we do for God needs to be absent of pride. What we do should be for his honor and for his glory, not for a pat on the back, not for fame, not for recognition, not with another motive in mind, but obviously their motives were wrong. God was angered. But above that, their purpose was to deceive those around them and put on their hearts and minds, we are something that we're not. Now, here's what I like about Peter. Peter was clear and plain and transparent. And what you see in Peter's life is what you got. There was nothing to hide. He laid everything out on the table. And although we see failures and mistakes and missteps and faults and problems, and although we recognize those things in our last message Peter was honest with himself and honest with his condition, not attempting to fake or deceive anyone on any level about his spiritual condition, about his spiritual direction, about where he was headed. And let me just say this tonight. You can't do anything better for yourself than to simply be real. You know, the best day of your life is when you stop trying to please man and simply attempt on a daily basis to please God. Did you know it's actually easier to please God than please man? You know how miserable you can be trying to please man? What a horrific 
experience. And here they were wanting to please the Christian community there at Jerusalem. Instead of, listen, God would have been extremely pleased simply by the fact that they were helping those around them that were needy. They didn't have to give 100%. God didn't expect for them to give 100% of the proceeds. If they'd simply had given that without lying, without an ulterior motive, without attempting to deceive the congregation into saying, wow, what a sacrifice. Can you believe what Ananias and Sapphira just did? Sold everything they had, gave it all to God. What incredible Christians. Too often we see in Christianity the same feeble attempt being made to portray ourselves as something that we are not. And the first thing man does in a church is pretends to be saved when he's never been biblically born again. Now you say, preacher, do you believe that and I and Sapphira were saved? I do believe they were saved. I believe they were there at the church. Peter did not address their souls. He didn't address their salvation. He addressed their lie to the Holy Ghost. But as long as I've pastored, I've dealt with something on a regular basis. And that is people, it, it, let me just say this about deception. Deception usually starts in the heart that deception is primarily self-deception. How often have adults and young people gotten saved? And as soon as they got saved, people greeted them and hugged them and said, praise the Lord, we've been praying for you for six months, 18 months, two years. Parents say, well, it's been five years, six years, eight years, we've been praying for the salvation of your soul. And they say, you knew? You knew I wasn't saved? Now, they only deceived themselves. And the sad thing about a liar, now let me just say this, John 8, 44, we know that Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. He's the father of lies. The truth isn't even in him. But when you look at Satan, you see a great or an incredible level of self-deception. Think about what Satan does during the tribulation. Think about what Satan does at the end of the millennium. Think about every working of Satan and his mindset, and you'll see a level of self-deception that you can't even comprehend. But you know what happens? When someone begins to lie, they lose the ability to identify truth. There's a disconnect there. And it gets to the point where all they do is deceive themselves and they think they're conveying truths. They're convinced people are believing their lies, but you've been around a liar and it doesn't take long to identify one and to see how disconnected that person is from truth and from reality. The sad part is, the embarrassing part is, you feel for that person and you feel embarrassment for that person because you know they don't even know their own condition. And as a congregation looked at these two, can you imagine the crowd after they had sat and seen Ananias walk in and lie to the preacher and die? Right there, he fell down. You could hear his head as it hit the floor and the congregation gasped. And the men walked forward and carried him out. Then imagine three hours later, his wife walks in. What do you think is going through the minds of those that are present? Everyone stops breathing. 
everyone is waiting for the question, waiting for the moment, and thinking in their minds, please, please don't, please stop, don't lie. But she was in the same pool of self-deception. And when asked the question, she too thought, I am something that I'm not. And with her answer, Peter said, you two have lied against the Holy Ghost, and she fell down dead. Now, let me just say this tonight before we move forward. The worst thing in the world that you could do is pretend to be saved when you're not. Now, folks, listen, I know normally an acting career, a successful acting career is good business, a lot of money. Profitable in worldly terms, financially. Outside of that, there's not much profit. It's a wicked society, a wicked world. But let me just say this. In Christianity, we have more well-defined acting skills than you'll find in Los Angeles, California. And people have learned to go to church and be something on Sunday that they are not Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. They know in their heart what they are, how they think, their desires. You know how difficult it is to be a Christian with no godly desires, with no spiritual desires? Can you imagine being trying to be a Christian? You don't desire to read the book. You don't enjoy prayer. The music you like is not what we heard sung tonight. You don't enjoy Christian friends. You'd much rather be with the unsaved. You would much rather have a newspaper, a magazine, rather than this word of God. There are a million things you'd prefer to do over being in the house of God, and sometimes you can find an excuse to miss, but otherwise, that you have a reputation to uphold, a facade to maintain, an appearance that you want people believing. But in your heart, there's nothing there. What a miserable life. What a miserable life knowing at least two or three times a week, I have to be, listen, I hate pretending. I hate it. Now, sometimes my wife would like for me to pretend that I was sweet and kind and gracious. Adam, could you just fake it for five minutes? 10 minutes. Sometimes she asks for 30 minutes at a time. I can't fake it that long. What you see is what you get. Now, there is nothing worse in life, and too many people have slidden into a Baptist church or a church of some kind and tried to give the appearance of being a Christian when in their heart they know, or for a while they know, but at some point they lie to themselves, they deceive their own selves into thinking, I'm fine, I'm okay. And then the shock, the problem is it doesn't just provide a miserable life. It provides a miserable death because I want you to think about this for a minute. And let me just say this. Let me be very clear tonight. When you don't have spiritual desires, you've never had spiritual desires, you're not saved. You can be raised in a Christian environment and enjoy the social life. I'm not talking about enjoying the social life of a Christian environment. 
I'm talking about truly having any spiritual desire, having a Holy Spirit. I know there are people in here that aren't born again because you don't have an active Holy Spirit in your life. There's no conviction. You could literally do anything with no concern, no conviction. You say, Pastor, we just don't share the same conviction. No, we just don't share the same Holy Spirit. Now, here's what's sad. Not only are you trying to live a very miserable life because you're trying to fit into two different worlds. And when you got one foot in the church and one foot in the world, you can't get comfortable in either place. It's a miserable existence. Because the world knows that you're supposed to, to some degree, be acting like a Christian. And the Christians know that you have nothing there. There's nothing existing in your being that's spiritual. And every day you fight and argue and scrap to try to prove that there is something there when there's absolutely nothing in your core, in your heart. But that's not the worst part. The worst part is when you die. Let's do this because we're in a hurry tonight. What if we think about just the first five minutes after you die? You wake up utter shock because I don't know if it takes 10 seconds or 20 seconds or 30 seconds for the reality to set in this is not what I expected after death the outer darkness is absolutely overwhelming you're falling free falling reaching out with both hands trying to grab something to stop or to sustain yourself. The pain is so intense, you scream out. You never thought you could feel pain this intense. Every inch of your body is on fire. The screams are piercing. The smell of smoke has permeated your nostrils. They're burning, your lungs are burning. And as you fall, You begin to try to collect your thoughts and you remember, wait a minute, I, this is not happening to me. There's no way I'm supposed to be in hell. But as the reality begins to sink in, you, you haven't lost hope yet. So you cry out, you remember a church service, you remember the opportunities you had, you remember a Bible that was placed in your lap, and you say, wait a minute, something's wrong, I shouldn't be here, what can I do, how can I escape? The first thing you will do is cry out for mercy, hoping there is yet one chance left, because you realized you may have deceived a lot of people, maybe Possibly, if you're there, you deceived your own self. You told yourself a lie, and you bought it. But you didn't deceive God. That's impossible. And now as you continue to fall, you've lost track of time. Have you been here for five minutes or 10 or 30? The pain is so intense, it seems like you've already been here forever. And you know, no one is listening to my cry Everyone else is screaming. And as you fall, you begin to understand. I'll never see light again. My body will never hit the floor. There'll be no rest. I will not be able to sit in a chair again. I'll not lay in a bed. My head will never rest again on a pillow. This is my eternal 
destiny. Now, if it's not the memory, I do not know the details of hell. But if the demons have their way and their say, they'll do their best to mock. Jonathan, you didn't have to come. You didn't have to be here. You had a Bible. You went to church. You heard. But as you fall, the reality is, you know there's no aspirin, there's no water. Wait, wait, the worst is yet to come. The worst is yet to be experienced because that lie you lived will be shattered. It will be. You may extend it for 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years. It won't be extended forever because at some point, death will reveal your lie. God knows the truth. You better make sure you're hanging your hopes on true salvation. Because as you continue to fall, and as you continue to scream, and as you continue to burn, and hope is gone, you'll say, I don't know how long I've been here, but every moment is my very first, and every day is the very beginning. At no point can I say I've been here for a year, a decade, or millennium. All I know is this is my first day all over again. Now, let me ask you this. Would you allow your pride to motivate you to live a lie? Sitting in a church, hearing the gospel, understanding the truth, yet defending your pride when in your heart you know you are not saved. You don't have it. You've tried to fake it. You've had a miserable existence. But if you think it's miserable trying to fake being a Christian, fake being a Christian until you die. And then you'll understand miserable. You say, what should I do? The first chance you have tonight during the invitation, you ought to change that. You ought to say, you know what? There's no way in the world I want to live that kind of lie. Let me say number two. There's a lot of people in our independent Baptist churches pretending to be spiritual. Now, understand what's happening here. You have a very common, ordinary Christian family who wants to give the appearance of being a committed Christian family. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Go with, go with me back to 1 Kings for just a second. I want you to see a story in 1 Kings chapter 14 because I think we have an application to the situation that we find in Acts 5, 1 Kings 14. And at that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. Jeroboam was the king. Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise, I pray thee, disguise thyself, that thou be not known to the wife of Jeroboam. Get thee to Shiloh. Behold, there is Ahijah, the prophet, which told me that I should be king over this people. Take with thee ten loaves and cracknels and a cruise of honey and go to him. He shall tell thee what shall become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so 
She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were set by reason of his age. And the Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam cometh to ask a thing of thee for her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shalt thou say unto her, for it shall be when she cometh in that she shall feign herself to be another woman. And it was so when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door that he said, Come in, thou wife of Jeroboam. Why feignest thou thyself to be another? Now, why would someone feign themselves to be another? Why put on a mask on Sunday and act like something you're not. Now, here's what, what someone, listen, when they're unsaved, they come to the church house, they can't understand the craziness of Christianity. They can't comprehend. You know, standards are just fanatical. Did you know I've never thought a day in my life about standards? It just grieves me to live a certain way and I like my relationship with God, and I like my relationship with the Holy Spirit, so there are things I don't do. No one has to be on top of me saying, act this way and dress this way and talk this way and don't do that and do this. Some say, don't you feel burdened down by standards and convictions. I don't have standards and convictions. I have a Holy Ghost, and I like this book, and I like seeing souls saved. And there's no way... I want to put a big ring through my nose and put a tattoo of an eagle on my forehead. And those are just things I don't want to do. So you, you didn't ever want to drink? No. Why would you want to do something that's graving to the Holy Spirit? You say, well, Pastor, I live constantly being pulled. That's because you need the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Get saved. Get born again. Things will change. But then here's the problem. If you don't get in the word of God, and it's the word of God that helps you grow, the Holy Spirit needs something to work with. And here's what the Bible says. Go with me to uh, James chapter 1, because we're going to connect these two. James chapter 1. Too many Christians are fooling themselves, convinced because I come to the church house, I'm spiritual. Did you know just because you thought you're spiritual doesn't make you spiritual? Just because you attend Cap City Baptist Church, just because you're around spiritual people doesn't mean you're actually spiritual. Look what the Bible says in James 1.21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness. Laying apart. What's lay apart mean? Put it out with the garbage. Lay apart all filthiness. Superfluity of naughtiness. Why are we seeing these things in as attributes of our independent Baptist church members? Receive with what? How are we supposed to receive the word? What's meekness mean? Humility of heart. A hunger that says, show me, teach me, guide me, instruct me, reprove me, rebuke me, exhort me. Receive the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, here's the catch. What? Doers. So what does this generation of Christians say about, oh, Christianity, listen, you're such an extremist. Oh, you go to one of those independent Baptist churches. Oh, you have all these convictions and standards. You know what? The Bible says to love. Uh, you know that actually the Bible says more about doing than loving? You stop reading your Bible. The Bible said you've deceived yourself because 
if all you talk about loving and not doing, what's it say? You've deceived your own selves. If you go, you hear the word. Read it with me. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. He beholdeth himself, he goeth his way, he straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. You know what you do? You wake up, you go to the mirror in the morning, and you spend the next 10 minutes, depending on who you are, to two hours, rearranging, decorating, remodeling. You clip, glue, blow, curl, straighten, add, and then say, I'm now the finished product. Society is ready to see me. But you know what you didn't do? You didn't walk up and say, boy, I'm good looking at four o'clock. You said something needs fixing. So you became a doer. Look what it says. Whoso looked in the perfect law of liberty and continue it therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. Now, here's what happens. We convince ourselves. We come to church. That makes me spiritual. I comply. I fit in. But because we don't receive with meekness the word, apply it to our daily lives, grow in grace. Because we've been in church 10 years, we expect people to think you're a spiritual person. You've survived 10 years of Capital City Baptist Church. Surviving 10 years of Capital City doesn't make you a spiritual person. This church never made anyone a spiritual person. Matter of fact, it's actually made a few people unspiritual. Because here's what makes you spiritual. When you take the word in there, some people that have been here for 18 months, listen, I am thrilled with Zach and his growth, but you know what Zach is doing? He's taking with meekness, receiving the word, and as he receives it, he becomes a doer. Uh, He takes that knowledge. He begins to apply it, put it into practice. Yes, he falls down. Yes, Zach has plenty of mistakes. Yes, you could point your finger and say, there's someone that's not exactly a fully developed, fully mature Christian. Oh, absolutely. But why is God so pleased? Because on a regular daily basis, he's receiving with meekness the engrafted word. He's digesting it, applying it, putting it into practice, living it daily changing while others year after year come deceiving uh, not the pastor not even 80% of the crowd not even 20% of the crowd you would be surprised how few people you actually deceive funny how young people so convinced man I'm deceiving people that I'm a spiritual young man Yeah, we're all pretty tricked. We didn't have a clue that you have no spiritual desires. I mean, your focus isn't even on the word of God in the house, the church house. You're thinking about something else. You're trying to entertain someone. You're talking to someone else. You're distracting someone else. You're so diligent in receiving the word that you're texting it to your unsaved friends during the service. The engrafted word which is able to say, I just wanted to send you point number three of Pastor Adam's sermon. 
the only one you're deceiving is yourself. There's no desire there. That's, the only desire you have are the benefits, the social benefits of the Christian life. That's not salvation. That's selfishness. You're only attracted to the filthiness of the flesh. Your only desire are for the things that appease your flesh. You know what? There's a crowd in here tonight in this auditorium that's deceived only themselves, convince themselves, I'm saved. You're going to live a miserable life and then have a miserable death. Then there's a crowd that's convinced themselves, I'm spiritual simply because I come to church and I've been enlightened because I'm rising way above holiness and godliness. I'm free in Jesus Christ. I don't see things as you see them. I think I can be a good Christian and still do everything except fornicate. I didn't fornicate. How is it that you enjoy all the filthiness of the world and you can't enjoy any of the spirituality of Christianity? Let me ask you tonight for your sake. Why don't you say, there's no way I can be a spiritual Christian if I'm deceiving myself. And let me ask you this. Why did, why did Jeroboam's wife disguise herself? Because she wanted the blessings of the person she was faking, disguising herself to be. And you know why young people fake like they're spiritual, fake like they're saved? Because there's a certain respect that comes, there's a certain respect that comes with being a Christian and they want that kind of, I don't want to be known as a porn addict. I don't want to be known as a sexually deviant person. I don't want to be known as a, a person that's out of control or disobedient or worldly or fleshly. I want the respect that comes with being a good Christian. So on Sunday, I've got to show up, perform on a certain level so I can maintain people's respect. Well, on Monday, I'm going to hide my deviant behavior and Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, and then come back once again and perform. Go back to Acts chapter 5. Look what it says in verse 2. There's another part of Christianity that's being faked. Not just salvation, not just spirituality. Look what it says in verse 2. What did they do? They sold their possessions, and kept back what? Part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and what? Brought, what's it saying? You know what they're faking? Full surrender. You know what have being faked in Christianity? Preacher, I'm surrendered. Here, here's what I've seen in Christianity. People want to do things partially, but have the cake turned out as if they followed the recipe. Folks, you're gonna be extremely disappointed. Here's where, if you're not careful as a pastor, you could let yourself go insane. I admire these men that I try to surround myself with, and most of them are 50 or 60 years old. Now, here's what happened. They didn't just wake up one day, make a good decision, turn their life around, and all of a sudden reap all the rewards of that good decision. Did you know Brother Ulan and Brother Larry Brown and, and these men of God that we've watched them, we've watched their families, we've watched their churches, we've watched their finances, we've watched their friendships, we watch them on every level. Those were decisions, right decisions, correct decisions, spiritual decisions, godly decisions that they were making at 20 and 21 and 23 and 24. And here's what they did. They were setting the foundation for a good life when they were 45 and 50 and 55 and 60. Amen. 
And here's what turns my stomach. We have a generation of young people who are, they're throwing away, they think, oh, I'm just throwing away a year. I'm just throwing away two years. Let me live my life. Let me do, do my thing. No, you're throwing away your 40s and your 50s. That's right. Because when you walk out of this, you're not walking out of the consequence. You're determining your life at 50, 55, and 60. Did you know these people in the auditorium that are 50 and 60 years old, their life is the direct result of their accumulated decisions in their youth? And we have young people already determined, I'm going to throw away my senior years. I'm not just going to throw away my youth. I'm going to throw it all away through fake surrender. Oh God, I'm so sorry, I wanna do right. Never incorporate anything godly in their life. Did you know godly desires, spiritual desires, are desires that are developed? So you gotta get in the book and read it, read it. You develop more desires. And as you develop those desires, you begin to make better decisions and the principles of the word of God begin to dictate your life. And the next thing you know, you actually have a good marriage and you found the right spouse and you're rearing your children according to godly principles. And then you get to enjoy your children when they get married. And then you get to enjoy your grandchildren instead of rearing them as if they were your children. You know, there's not a whole lot of joy in getting your son out of jail or paying bond for drunk driving those things don't come with extreme pleasure. No, there's no pleasure of listening to your child saying, you know, we're gonna get divorced. There's no pleasure in those things. And here's what happens. When you're making decisions at 18, Dave, you're already starting to establish how you can marry and who you can marry by your actions when you're 18, 19, 20, and 21. And who you marry determines how you live when you're 40. And here's what they think. No, I'm just going to do what I want when I'm 19 or 20 and then go marry, have a wonderful married life. It doesn't work that way. You're setting the stage for your marriage by the decisions you make when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. But our young people at camp fake surrender and at church fake surrender and in the Christian school fake surrender and how many Christians fake surrender? There's no desire for soul winning. There's no Commitment to the things of God. There's no dedication to ministry. There's no love for souls. But if you talk to them, oh, I'm, I'm surrendered. You're not even doing a good job faking it. And here's what happened. Two people said, we gave it all. Peter said, let me, let me ask you a question. Let me just ask you one question. Here's what's amazing. You can look a preacher. You're so self-deceived. You can actually look a preacher in the eye and say, I want you to know, this is what I and God says, you may have tricked someone, you may have fooled somebody, you may even be a polished enough actor to have pulled it off for years. But there's one problem. There's someone who runs this universe that's called the God of all knowledge. And just like you watch that little child as he disobeys and then tells you, no, I didn't do that. We try the same trick with God, who's watching every movement, listening to every word, reading every thought. And let me ask you this tonight. I have one question. I would have to believe this had to have been one of Peter's worst days in the ministry because he knows Sapphira's coming back. 
the man of God takes no pleasure in watching God reveal the truth. You know what I do as a man of God? There are times when I can't handle things any longer and I just pray this prayer. 20 years of ministry, God's always answered it. When I reach a breaking point, I just say, God, you know what? If you just reveal the truth, just solve the problem. It's a last resort because I know it's going to be ugly. What happened today if God just revealed the truth? Let me ask you this. Why would you pursue and live so determinedly a lie. The greatest comfort in the Christian life is just be real. Don't be perfect. What if tonight, you just said tonight, I'm not saying I want to get born again. You know, tonight, I've been ruling my spiritual life. I'm going to start becoming a doer of the word, not just a hearer. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit be active in my life and I'm going to be obedient. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.